Hello, hi. Welcome to this week's installment of the Dirty Chai podcast with me, your host, Chia. The podcast where we focus on professional and personal success by growing and developing the common denominator to all your successes, all your failures, and everything in between, you. It's about the mindset, emotional regulation, and the intentional personal development that underpins holistic success. Today, we're discussing lessons from Indra Nui's book, My Life in Full. It's a biography. And Indra Nui, for those who don't know her, was the chief executive officer and chairperson of PepsiCo for about 13 years. Indra is an Indian-American business executive. She was born in India and she did most of her schooling there, including um, her early university. She then moved to the United States to study management an MBA, I believe, at the at Yale University. But while in, in India, she went to the University of Madras and the Indian Institute of Management, where she studied various things, including physics, chemistry, and mathematics. She was an exceptional cricket player, which is very interesting. Um, and she has consistently ranked among the world's 100 most powerful women. In 2014, she was ranked at number 13 on the Forbes list, for the world's 100 most powerful women and was ranked the second most powerful woman on the fortune list in 2015 and 2017. She also serves currently on the boards of Amazon and, of course, the International Cricket Council because she seems to have a passion for that. She held various jobs in her career, including positions at Johnson & Johnson. Um, while she was while she was studying at a Yale School of Management, she completed a summer internship at Boz Allen Hamilton. In 1980, she joined Boston Consulting Group. Then she worked at Motorola as Vice President and Director of Corporate Strategy and Planning, followed by a stint at Asia Brown Bovary. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. She then joined PepsiCo in 1994 and would go on to become the CEO in about 2005. I hope I have that date correct. She would go on to become CEO in 2006. I was close enough. Now, all of this, all of this background is so that you, I color in some of the things that make Indra Nui particularly interesting to me. Indra Nui comes from a patriarchal society. Um, India is known as being particularly patriarchal. So it was very interesting to me to learn that one of the defining features of her success is the fact that he, her grandfather was open-minded about her education. It was that her grandfather was particularly interested in her education, particularly interested in, when I say education, I don't necessarily just mean going to school. I mean her ability to give a speech. He would make the siblings practice. He would say, if you were prime minister, what would you sp say on this particular subject? And then they would have to practice it. That's not necessarily a school assignment, and it's not necessarily traditional education. They were open-minded as a family to letting girls learn in a way that a lot of more traditional families were not open to. And that open-mindedness from the family was a defining factor in creating the foundation that would allow Indra to achieve the academic success that would later take her to the United States and open her path to leading PepsiCo. I point this out in order to say, inasmuch as we would like to disregard it, the role that a parent or parental figures or influential figures play in our early life is very, very important. We have already been raised. 
um, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are very high you're already an adult. But it is important to note that as many of us are now having children, many of us already have children, that your behavior and how you engage with those children, yours and not necessarily yours, has a major impact on how they then view the world and then the opportunities they're later able to take on. In other words, as you are going about living your life, you must also understand the power you have to influence the young people around you, the children around you, and your children. Simply by engaging with them and showing them what life could be and encouraging them to be more confident, encouraging them to feel more loved, encouraging them to be more secure, encouraging them to speak more, to use their voice, to articulate something better, you're quite possibly changing the trajectory of a child's life for the better. So that was one of the things that really stuck out for me. On a personal level, I grew up in a tiny town. Sometimes I even hesitate to call it a town. If it is a town, it's the size of a five-cent coin on the border between Zimbabwe and Mozambique. They're just there. And my life could have gone an entirely different way. But I think one of the things that was life-changing for me and defining is even though my mother is gone now, she firmly believed in education. When she died, she didn't leave me anything financial. In fact, I was left entirely destitute. But I had an education and I had the ability to think and problem solve. And that was a defining game changer for me. My mom worried a lot on her deathbed that she did not leave me an inheritance. What she left me in the ability to understand work ethic, the ability to understand the need for education, the ability to understand the need for showing up fully, the ability to express myself. Because in the early days, when I was much younger, and I say early days, I mean early days of my life, we were not wealthy by any means. I think we might even have struggled to fit into middle class. If we did, it would have been lower middle class. And what my mother used to do for special occasions was that she would give gift me books. And in between, as entertainment, I would read whatever I could lay my hands on, whether it was the Reader's Digest, etc. And something as small as that has led to this podcast because I can only do this podcast because I happen to read a lot. And I happen to have had years of practice in processing and synthesizing large amounts of information from books over the years, the decision that she made in that regard many years ago has been a defining decision in my life, in my career, and even in this moment. So pay attention to how you've been raised, but also pay attention to how you're raising those around you, whether you have children or you are dealing with the children of others. The next thing that came that, that, that stood out for me in reading her book was a description she gives, so she's talking about um, after, I think she's she's finishing off her time at Yale, Yale School of Management, and she needs to go for an interview. And she wants to present as best as she possibly can. And so she tries to put on a Western type of suit. I'm trying to remember if she was going for an interview or she was she was interviewing a CEO for the first time. Either way, so she's going to an important business occasion and she's very worried about what she's going to say 
um, how she's going to appear. And so she goes back and forth and she decides to wear a Western type of suit, which is something that she never wore before. And when she wore it, it was very ill-fitting and very uncomfortable. And she looked like she was in an ill-fitting suit that was very uncomfortable. Consequently, she was uncomfortable all round. And she looked it. What she had hoped to avoid by trying to fit in was the very thing she created for herself by trying to fit in. And the lesson that she learned from that, um, I think one of her colleagues, one of her colleagues spoke to her about it gently, just sort of, you know, Indra, um, what's going on with the outfit? And she said, no, she, she just wanted to present as best as possible, but typically she would wear a sari. And the colleague responded, then you should have worn a sari. And I thought that was a powerful lesson in authenticity. Often, we sacrifice or we think that the best way to fit in or the best way to present powerfully is to be like the next person. But in truth, the best way to present powerfully within reason is to be the best version of you that you can be. Within reason and with the best version of you that you can be are the same thing. Authenticity doesn't mean that you are entitled to be an unpleasant and unplayable person. Authenticity means you you try and stay true to the values that make you who you are. If you wear saris all the time, and a sari is a perfectly respectable garment to wear anywhere, there is no reason why you should feel obliged to wear a suit when you go to a particular occasion because that is what people wear there. I have found, it took me a while to get comfortable. I was painfully shy when I was younger. And I have found now that I am <laughs> in my late 30s. I wanted to say now I'm getting older. Maybe, I, yeah, now that I'm in, in my late 30s, I'm 38. I find that nothing gives you confidence quite like wearing something that you are comfortable in. I remember doing, we needed to do a presentation for a business change proposal my colleagues and I had prepared for a training program with my current employer. And it was quite a big deal. And we had a little discussion about what to wear. So we all agreed that it would be suits. And then everybody says, okay, okay, should we wear black suits or blue suits or whatnot? So I say to them, I don't have any of those colors. My suits are pink, royal blue, red, or orange. I can wear one of those. And I remember them saying, no, 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 no. Those are crazy colors. And I was just like, those are the colors that truly make me happy. So unless we are actually picking a team, team color, I don't know if we are, unless we're actually picking a team color and everyone has to wear that color, then I'm going to wear the one that I'm most comfortable with. If we're just saying you wear suits, then I'll wear one. I said the best I can do for you is wear red. Then we had a big chuckle about it. And then I wore red, which was my most subtle color at the time. But on the day, even though I was in a sling even though I was in an excruciating amount of pain, quite frankly, I, because uh, I happened to have um, had a, a, a touch rugby accident just in the same week, I was comfortable. And being comfortable meant that I could speak better. And that has recurred and presented itself in many scenarios over and over and over. Sometimes people respond to the thing that you say you're going to wear, not because they don't, they, when they say they, that you shouldn't wear it or they suggest that you wear something else, it's not because they think you shouldn't wear it or because they think you won't look nice. It's because that they wouldn't wear it. 
and they think that they wouldn't look nice in it. And it's important to understand what you're dealing with when you're dealing with people and to also understand who you truly are so that you can comfortably defend your position and present as the best version of yourself that you can be. You don't want to present as someone who typically wears a sari, who is attempting for a day to be the person who wears a suit because people can smell inauthenticity on you. And when you're not being authentic, when you're not being truthful, other than completely being completely exhausting, completely exhausting, it is also a way in which you unconsciously undermine your relationship with yourself. And when your relationship is with yourself is undermined, when you tell yourself, like in that instance, that the things that you are are not enough for the space in which you need to show up, what happens is your self-esteem gets compromised. And that has lots of knock-on effects, like affecting the way you present and the way you speak. So within reason and within sense and within sensibility, be as authentic as you can be. But if you're going to be authentic, and it's an important disclaimer, if you're going to be authentic and your version of authentic makes you an unpleasant person, you should also be comfortable with the consequences of that. The idea is not that your authenticity must be accommodated to the detriment of the people around you. If the authenticity that you identify with is unpleasant, you should be okay to deal with the consequences that the freedom of being that affords you. Because the biggest challenge I've come, the more I engage with people, is people wanting to be both. I want to be unplayable, but I also want people to cater to my unplayableness. It really doesn't work that way. The next thing is um, motherhood. Obviously, um, there's no way I could miss um, a parenting conversation. Indra is a mother. And she was raising her children at a time when she was CEO of PepsiCo. And Indra Nui is one of three or four women I've heard say, you can have it all, you just can't have it at the same time. You can have it all, you just can't have it at the same time. It's her, it's Michelle Obama, it's Shonda Rhimes, and it's Sheryl Sandberg. These are all powerful women in their own right, and they are all saying the same thing. One of the, 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 the ways in which she explains the book is she said, as she was going through this attempt <laughs> to balance everything, to balance parenting, life, motherhood, etc., she thought, my goodness, someone needs to figure this out. Someone needs to talk about this, as we all do when we go into that Maya for the first time. Someone needs to, to teach everybody else how this needs to happen. And years later, as she came to the, to the end of her career at PepsiCo, and she came to a point when she was ready to write a book, she said she realized that the wisdom of how to manage, of how to get through, has been figured out. It was figured out a long time ago. There are a thousand books on it. There is nothing more to add to that body of work. The only thing to add is your own story. Because the more stories they are, and the more the stories are told in full, the more other people and other women in particular can understand that what they're going through is not something that has never before been seen. That the tools are there to get by as best as possible. That the, the conversations that need to be had have been articulated and they should be had in the circles that you're in. That it can be done, but you need to give yourself grace to not do it all at the same time. And she gives a wonderful example 
because um, she speaks of um, a time when her children were in primary school and every time there was a school event, her daughter would come home. So she's the CEO, maybe she's traveled to another country at the time and there's a school event and when she got home, her daughter would be waiting for her and she would say, mom, these are the mothers that were at the, at the event and she would list one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten mothers, right? And then she would say, and you know who wasn't there? You. And she said the first few times she would be racked with guilt, absolutely racked with guilt. She would be apologetic. You know, teen, teen, teenagers and kids in general can sometimes be quite unforgiving. And she would feel so guilty and she would try to remedy it as best as she could until she said, I had a hard think about it and decided to fight fire with fire. And so every time there was a school event that she couldn't make, she would call the school and say, give me a list of all the mothers who were not there. Right. And then her daughter would come and she would say, there was an event and you were not there again. And these were all the mothers that were there. And she would say, yes, I was not there. But these are the mothers who were also not there. And she would list them and it would neutralize the situation. The point that she was trying to make is we are not all equal or in the same season. We are all going through something different at a different time and able to do different things. If a person is able to attend every school event, that is great. But sometimes you're not able to. On Friday last week, I wanted to attend my daughter's concert. I couldn't get a, a ticket for the Saturday, so I bought a ticket for Friday morning. And then I told my boss that I would be in late just so I could attend that concert between 9 and 10. During the night, there was an emergency. Um, one of our units needed something. And I needed to sort it out first thing in the morning. So I got up early. I got up at four, tried to sort out this thing. I was liaising with my, my one, of, what, from one of my team. And then he returned the document at quarter to nine. And we needed to send it out immediately. And so I sat down and I reviewed it and I went through it and I, I tweaked the wording, fixed what needed to be done. I'm watching the clock. My daughter's school is quite nearby, but still. It was nine o'clock already, five past nine when I finished. And I was very stressed because she's in the younger classes. So I knew she would be going on stage pretty early in the production. So I managed to get it off at 10 past nine. I sent it off. I drove to the school in a flurry of dust. I arrived. They sorted me out with the parking. I literally sprinted across the parking lot. And I'm actually feeling teary as I'm saying this. As I ran up to the school hall, my daughter was just finishing off her performance and she was going off stage and I was gutted. I was absolutely gutted. And she went down the stairs and she went out the other way. And I thought, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I remember my first instinct was, this is such a terrible parenting moment. You're having a, this is, this is terrible. You could have waited. They could have waited. Maybe they could have waited. I didn't, but I knew they couldn't have waited. But the, this chaos that you're hearing right now is what's exactly, what, what exactly was going on in my head. So I sit down on the chair. I stand up. I sit down on the chair. I stand up. I'm so distressed. <laughs> and there were a couple of ladies, um, cleaners who were standing by the stairwell. It was an outside stairwell watching me, trying to figure out what the hell had fire in my pants like that. Then um, my first instinct was, you know what? It's fine. It's done. Screw it. I'm going to go to work and then I'll figure it out. And I knew the next day was sold out. Then 
as I started to walk away, I sat, I decided to sit on the stairs, the outside stairs and catch my breath, just pull myself together because I knew that if I got into the car in that state, I would very easily fall to pieces. So I sat there, I took a deep breath. And sometimes when, when I'm in an emotional moment, I have to remember, remind myself to go into my work brain. My work brain is an incredible problem solver, but my personal brain is not. So I sat there for a bit um, and then my work brain kicked in. And it said, what's important is that she knows you are here. What do we need to do for that to happen? I pulled myself together. I picked up my stuff and I went to the classroom. And I bumped into a teacher and she says, I'm worried. Are you going to go to the class? I'm worried that she's going to cry. And I said, no, it's fine. I just need her to know I was here. I went to the classroom. She was very excited to see me. My heart was healed instantly. She said, teacher, it's my mommy. Teacher, it's my mommy. Um, I gave her a hug. I said, well done, you did very well today. And then as I'm chatting to her, all her little classmates line up for hugs and well done's as well. So I hug them each. I tell them well done, that they're loved. And they all queue up, they all queue up. Some lingered for much longer. But Imara was just generally really happy that her mummy was around. And I changed her back out of her dance outfit into her, her normal clothes. And I then said, I'll take her dance outfit home to wash for the next day. The next day I brought her in for the concert and I took a chance that at least one of the parents who had bought a ticket wouldn't show up and they didn't and I watched her on Saturday morning which is something I don't typically do because I don't break rules but sometimes you just have to do the best you can with what you've got and one of the things I got from Indra Nui's book was just do the best you can with what you've got in the moments where you're able to show up show up fully if you're not able to show up have grace for yourself you're not the only one and there are many people who are having to choose what the all is in that moment. You can have it all. You just can't have it in the exact same moment. Um, <clears throat> sure, I want to tell you about Whitney's wig, but wig, but I think I'll tell you that one in a separate podcast episode. But it's something quite similar that Shonda Rhimes explains in her own book. And Michelle Obama talks about the same thing and the difficulties that she had as well in the early years of their marriage, in the early years of having kids with um with Obama Barack, um, and how they ended up in marriage counseling. But I'll save that for another podcast. Then the third thing that I took away, and some of them, some of my takeaways are a bit unconventional, but when I connect with a book, I connect with the things that matter to me, and I share those things in the hope that they matter to you too. So Indra, as CEO of PepsiCo, happened to be in a commercial meeting um, between the governments of the U.S. and the and and India, and President Barack Obama introduced his side, which included her, and he introduced Indra. Um, CEO of PepsiCo and the Indian president said oh no but she is one of us to which Obama responded she is one of us too and I thought that was a powerfully a powerful poignant moment it, it's a moment that obviously stuck out in her in her experience to her as well because she wrote about it but what I got from it was you can be more than one thing. You can be more from more than one place. I'm the girl who's from a rural place in Chipinge, but I'm also a Joburger now. I'm also the girl who went to Chipinge Primary School and walked a kilometer and a half to get to school, but I'm also the girl who went to Rhodes University. I'm the girl who was on Rhodes Music Radio and who podcasts now, 
but I'm also the girl who is a runner. I'm also the girl who is a mother. I am in corporate, but I'm also just a girl who loves hanging out with her friends and dancing. I sometimes have to deal with very serious situations, but I'm also a person who likes to have some good-natured fun. I drink a lot of tea, but I love to hang out with friends who drink a lot. (laughs) But all this is to say that you are allowed to be more than one thing. You do not have to be consumed by one part of your identity. Being in corporate is great, but you also need to be rounded. And when you're rounded, your authenticity comes through much stronger and you are happier and you are more grounded. Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie has a a TED Talk called The Danger of a Single Story. It is one of the most powerful TED Talks I've ever listened to. And it simply says that it is easy to look at a person and think this is all that they are. So, for example, if you look at... Let's say a person who wears a back brace. You don't know anything about them. You just know that they wear a back brace all the time. It is very easy to identify them as that person who wears a back brace. But what you might not realize is it's that person is also a person who is loved by somebody, a person who loves people, maybe a person with a great sense of humor, maybe a person with a complex backstory or a simple one, maybe a person who's very well-traveled or not, maybe a person who can cook extraordinarily well or not, maybe a person who has a penchant for shoes, maybe it's a person who speaks multiple languages. The point of this is when you take a quick glance, metaphorically and literally at a person, it is very easy to sum them up and think you know who and what they are. But there is a danger that you then limit those people to a single story. There is a danger that you then limit yourself to a single story. There's a danger that you pick one aspect of your story. For example, I could pick being a divorcee and make it my entire identity. Or I could pick being an orphan and make it my entire identity. I could pick being a lawyer and make it my entire identity. I could pick being a mother and make it my entire identity. I could do all of those things, but the danger in that is that you then ignore all the other things that you are, and they are no less a part of you, and they limit what you can see of yourself and consequently what opportunities you can see for yourself. Understand that you can exist in this world and be many things at the same time, and that is okay. Finally, the power of stories, which I've already touched on. The power of stories is when we hear that someone else has already done something and been through something that we are going through, it allows us, A, to feel human and to feel that we're not alone in the human experience. It allows us to see how other people have navigated where we are now trying to navigate, but they have already been through. It allows us to expand our horizons in mind and body and in spirit. It tells you that the shame that you thought would consume you is shame that has been around for a hundred years and it has consumed no one. That is the power of stories and that is why stories are shared. That is why it is important for people like Indra Nui to share that they also have their struggles, to share that they also have beautiful moments and difficult moments and moments of feeling like, oh my God, must I cut myself in half? Indra Nui tells the story that I'm going to close with about the day she was appointed CEO of PepsiCo. And it was a big deal in the world. It was a really 
big deal. And she makes her way home at the end of the day. She comes in via the kitchen and her mom says, where's the milk? And she says, I forgot, you know, I didn't buy the milk. Her mom said, but I texted you to buy milk. And she says, no, mom, I forgot. I was appointed CEO of PepsiCo today. She says, no one cares. Go and get the milk. And so she goes out and she goes and she buys milk. But this is the thing. You can do this singularly impressive thing and still not be able not be able to impress your mother and still have a very, very human moment. And all this is to say that you're doing great. You are doing great. You will figure it out as many women and men before you have figured it out. You will learn, you will adapt, you will grow, and you will achieve the thing that you have been sent to this planet to do simply because you have decided it and you will pursue it. That is it. And that is what the story is meant to tell you. Select your opportunities, go after them, be as authentic as you possibly can be, and have grace for yourselves in the moment that you can't be everything to everyone. And sometimes remember that having to go and buy the milk on the day you've been appointed CEO of PepsiCo is just a reminder to stay grounded because you are... You are who you are. Who you are follows you into every what that will find you in this life. Who you are will follow you into every what. Have a beautiful week. I hope that this has been informative and helpful to you. If it has been, please like, subscribe, share, leave me a comment, send me a DM. I love receiving feedback. I truly appreciate it. And share the podcast with a friend. Thank you so much and have a beautiful week.